This right here is the Twib Clarity. You are now listening to Twib FM. Real talk, real awesome. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you for tuning in. We have an amazing guest on tonight. His name is David Walker. He's an award-winning journalist, filmmaker, educator, comic book writer. So if you're all about comics and you really want to um, learn a lot about what it takes to be a published author and writer, uh, this is definitely the podcast to listen to. Our live feed hashtag, as always, is BGN Podcast. That puts you into the feed with other listeners, and you can ask any questions, leave your comments there. Uh, also, you can go to twib.fm. There is a chat room in there where you can converse with the other Twib listeners. And we do have a studio number. You can call in if you'd like. It's 718-404-9320. Again, that number is 718-404-9320. And I have my lovely co-host on, Grace Gibson, to chat with us tonight. She is a comic book connoisseur. Um, but before we uh, get to our guest and I introduce Grace, I just want to make a couple of announcements. So check out the Black Girl Nerds dot com website on there we have a lot of updates to provide you we have editorials there's also a newsletter that you can subscribe to um, that's located on the right sidebar this week there is going to be an upcoming giveaway uh, so make sure you bookmark the website so that way you'll get the latest updates on all of the giveaways that are happening there and we also appreciate if you just take a moment and support us. Uh, we do really appreciate all that you do with listening in and tweeting about us. Um, but we also would love your financial support as well. So there is a PayPal button there where you can donate if you'd like. Um, you can also support us in other ways by going to our Zazzle website where we have merchandise. So there's T-shirts and coffee mugs and mouse pads on there. So if you go to www.zazzle.com, Zazzle.com forward slash blurredgasm, B-L-E-R-D-G-A-S-M. That is where you can find all of the BGN merch there, and you can represent us at your favorite uh, con. Uh, And then there's blog ads. So blog ads, that allows you, the content creator, to advertise your goods or services, and we help you find an audience. So check out blog ads if you haven't already. It's a great resource. It's a great tool, and we've gotten some positive feedback from um, many folks that have used it along the way. All right, so I am going to pass the virtual mic over to Grace. Grace, just introduce yourself, any latest projects that you're working on, and your social media shout-outs. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm- uh, she said, I'm Grace, coming from the West Coast out here in Oakland, and um, you can catch me on Twitter at GBreezy20, and you can also check out my blog spot, uh, my um, blog at Black Savant Cinema, and uh, I just actually finished up my PhD at Berkeley, so that is my uh, accomplishment for the year so far, I guess you could say, and I got a couple of uh, pieces in the works, one on Martha Washington, 
and also a piece on uh, Jeanette Monet that should be coming out in the spring, uh, later this spring. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Great. All right. So I'm going to introduce our guest, David Walker, and we're going to get to the questions. David F. Walker is an award-winning journalist, filmmaker, educator, podcast personality, comic book writer, and author. Walker has worked on projects with filmmaker Quentin Tarantino, Aaron McGruder, and director-producer Reginald Hudlin. Walker has been a writer for over six years. He was the 2003 recipient of the prestigious Society of Professional Journalists Award for Excellence in Writing, and he's written a cultural analysis and commentary for MSN, DVD Talk, Giant Robot Magazine, Savvy, Cinephiled, and Rap Pages. David F. Walker is an award-winning journalist filmmaker, also of the young adult series known as The Adventures of Darius Logan. His publication, Badass Mofo, became internationally known as the Indispensable Resource Guide to Black Films of the 1970s. His work in comics includes the series Cyborg, Shaft, Doc Savage, Number 13, The Army of Dr. Moreau, and The Supernoles Experiment. As an educator, Walker has taught courses such as documentary filmmaking, writing for comics, and film criticism to youth throughout the Pacific Northwest College of Art, as well as the Northwest Film Center, Documentary Northwest, and Project Youth Doc. Thank you so much for coming on the show tonight, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, first of all, I mean, you obviously have a, a very long body of work and very prestigious body of work, I might add, with respect to comic books and um, young adult books. I, I want to know, first of all, on the comic side of things, did you grow up reading comics and what comic books were your favorite and why? Well, yeah, actually, I, I not only did I grow up reading comics, I, I learned how to read with comics. Um, you know, when I, like... I'm an old man, you know, so I've been reading since like the early 1970s reading comics. And, um, you know, back then it was, it was before there were comic specialty stores, uh, comic retailers. So I just read whatever I could get on the newsstand pretty much every week. So a lot of, um, I mean, my favorites growing up were Spider-Man and Batman. I was a big fan of like the Fantastic Four, the Hulk, you name it. Um, I had it all. And, uh, you know, now, now my reading tastes have, have veered more away from superhero stuff, more towards the indie stuff. But yeah, I've been reading comics for over 40 years. Wow. Wow. And did, did you have a favorite? I, I think I might have missed that. Do you have a favorite yeah, comic you book? Know, it's, I, it, it goes. It depends on what week you ask me. Uh, <laughs> now that, now that I'm working on Cyborg right now, I feel like, the new Teen Titans during the eighties was my favorite comic. Um, you know, the, the Marv Wolfman, George Perez stuff. Cause I've been going through a lot of that sort of rediscovering it for the first time in a long time. Um, I, when I was like in junior high, I would say my two favorite comics were the new Teen Titans and, and X-Men. And this was back when Claremont and Byrne were doing it. And again, I was, you know, you know, seventh, eighth grade, stuff like that. That, that's what, um, those are the two that I love the most. Nice. And you have a young adult series called The Adventures of Darius Logan, as yep. mentioned in your bio. And you have a commitment to literacy among black youth. So can you tell us about that story and why you focus on young adult fiction? Well, I wrote uh, the first book in The uh, the Adventures of Darius Logan. First book is called Super Justice Force. I wrote that 
uh, came out in 2011. And, you know, it started just, I kind of had this idea, as as all writers do, you have an idea, you just start writing it. I wasn't quite sure what format it was going to take. I didn't know if it was going to be comics or I knew it wasn't going to be a screenplay. So it was really, is it either going to be a comic or is it going to be a novel? And at the time, writing a novel seemed really daunting, but I wanted to do it. And um, so I did it. And, you know, as I, I was fortunate enough to get an agent, but we weren't fortunate enough to sell the book. And, you know, during that time, uh, about a year of trying to get a book deal, heard a lot from a lot of editors, a lot of publishing houses, and they all kept saying the same things, which were, oh, you know, teen boys don't read, uh, especially black teen boys, you know? Mm. And, and so I kept hearing this over and over again. And part of me was like, well, if they're, why aren't they reading, you know, and, and if they're not reading, how do we get them to read? And, and so that's sort of, you know, I, I read a lot of YA fiction, and, you know, I kept looking for characters that I would have wanted to read when I was 13 and 14 years old. And, like, there never was one in any of these books that I've read. And and that was sort of one of the reasons why I had written Super Justice Force and, and created The Adventures of Darius Logan. And, you know, and again, the more I was rejected by publishers, the more I, I started looking into the numbers, you know, and, and illiteracy in America as a whole is, is at epidemic proportions. But it's like, if, if illiteracy in, in America is, is like a bad case of food poisoning, um, illiteracy in black America is like food poisoning plus stomach cancer. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so that's, it's really near and dear to my heart because, you know, I, I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids that, that um, was sort of, you know, teachers thought I had a, you know, learning disability just because I didn't like to read the stuff they put in front of me, and and I was easily distracted. And um, it's very easy for young people, especially young people of color, to slip through the cracks. And and you know, I just want to try to do the best I can to to help inspire them and and make them realize that that they're important and that they matter and that they're, and, and it's possible for them to, you know, have dreams and aspirations above and beyond uh, what is often given to them in the, the format of pop culture. Nice. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, first also let me uh, give kudos for uh, your Glyph Award for uh, Shaft and Story of the Year. Congratulations on that. Um, And so um, kind of like in, you know, leading up to that, what brought you to, you know, the creation of Shaft, who, by the way, is definitely one of my favorite uh, film characters. And I just actually started reading Shaft. So um, I'm pretty so. But, you know, what brought you to kind of like the creation of um, of this uh, series? Um, You know, it was it was one of those things where as I was sort of plotting out my next move in comics, I was thinking about, you know, what's the sort of story I want to tell and what's the sort of character I want to tell that story with. And and I, I made a list of all the things I wanted to do. And then I realized, well, I could I could create an original character or I could try to get the rights to Shaft. 
because mm-hmm. that character is would, would be I'd be able to tell the sort of stories I wanted this the, this particular story, and so I was a you know I saw the movies when I was a kid growing up, and then um and and what most people don't realize is that there was a series of novels there were seven novels by Ernest Tidyman, mm-hmm. and I read those too. Um, and, and I was a much bigger fan of the books than I am of the movies, actually. And so I just decided to, to figure out what it would take to do a comic. Um, so I found out who had the rights to the, the, the literary rights to the character, the print rights. And that was the, the widow of Ernest Tidyman, a woman named Chris Clark Tidyman. I reached out to her. This is about two, two and a half years ago. Started the dialogue and said, look, this is what I'd like to do with the character that your husband created. I've got a vision and she was, you know, like, sounds good to me. Let's, let's make it happen. And so it took about a year and a half, two years to, to, for, for the estate and then a publisher to come up with a deal. And I, I introduced the estate to the publisher, helped facilitate that a little bit, um, with the understanding that I would be the one to introduce Shaft to the world of comics. And so that's how it all, it, it, it all came together. It was really, I mean, probably, about the time I was seven or eight years old, I remember thinking I would love to see a Shaft comic book. And so it only took 30 something years after that for it to happen. Wow. Well, well, we thank you for, you know, bringing it. Sometimes I've learned, you know, you know, we have to be patient and time will, you know, reveal and bring things to the light. So I I thank you for your, your dedication to that and make sure that, you know, it still comes to the light. So. Well, thank you. It's yeah. It was definitely there was times where I wasn't very patient, you know, <laughs> uh, and and but but it all paid off in the end. And and a lot of it was just really, um, you know, when when you're when you're a writer and when you do comics, there's always these characters that that people want to write, whether it's Batman or Spider Man or Wonder Woman, and and I had that long list. But really, Shaft was on that list. The the key was that he was never done as a um as a comic book before and you know as part of the deal that was struck they decided they wanted to do a new novel as well the um the publisher and so they we hashed out a deal so in addition to writing the comic i've written the first novel shaft novel in 40 years i think i think the last one came out in 1975 i think so yeah this, this is 40 years Definitely. So it's kind of like you even bring a new audience into, you know, appreciating Shaft to a new new set of folks. So cool. Yeah, it's, it's we've been trying a lot of a lot of young people keep ask me things like, well, so what is Shaft? Is that like Black Dynamite? And then I have to sort of sit down and and school them a little bit. Gotcha. Now, um, would you describe Shaft as like a period piece type comic or was there another approach that you were trying to use? No, it's, it's a period piece. The, the comic takes place in, um, in 1969. And then the novel that I've written takes place in uh, about 1972. I don't, I never come out and say exactly what year the novel is, but the comic is 69. And, and I wanted it specifically to be set in that era. The, the era that the, the original books came out, because in the original books, um, Shaft was a, a veteran of the war in Vietnam. And mm-hmm. in the movies, that wasn't really integral to who he was as a character. But in the books, I think it was really um, 
it was important. And, and that was sort of the idea that was, was fueling what I wanted to do, which is I wanted to tell a story about a guy who was a really young man when he went off to war because he went off to the war when he was 17 years old and he had a criminal record before that. And I, and I thought there was a lot of things about that character that were relevant that, that were still relevant today, but would be easier for an audience to sort of contextualize, um, if it was told in like 1969 or 1970, as opposed to now him being a, you know, a veteran of the Gulf war or something like that. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Tell us about your latest graphic novel, the army of Dr. Moreau. Oh boy. Yeah. That's a, that just came out about a month ago and it was, it was originally published as a digital comic series through a company called monkey brain. Uh, and they do digital exclusively. And then, um, we got a deal with IDW to collect all the issues into a, a physical trade paperback graphic novel. And it's, uh, it takes place in the late 1930s and it's, it's, it's basically a sequel to H.G. Wells' novel, The Island of Dr. Moreau, which came out in like 1890 something. It was one of the first sci-fi novels. And it's just about a mad scientist who turns animals, tries to turn animals into human beings, but they're like these hideous monsters. And, and so this is a sequel. It takes place in 1939 at the start of World War II. And it's about a team of, um, Nazi scientists trying to replicate the formula of Dr. Moreau. The, the concept being that the book H.G. Wells wrote was based on a real person. And, and so it's about the, um, a, a joint team of British and American operatives trying to stop the Nazis from creating an army of animal soldiers. Hmm. Okay. Nice. Did you ever watch, I remember seeing the movie. Did you ever watch the movie version? Of the seen, um, yeah, I've seen, there's like three or four movie versions and I've seen all of the them. The one with Marlon Brando is the one I'm referring to. <laughs> oh yeah. That's one, that's, that's one of the worst movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, in fact, there's a great documentary that just came out, uh, came out this year about the making of that movie, even though the movie was made in the nineties, cause it was just such a fiasco. Um, I, yeah, I, to, to say I hated that movie is like an understatement. And, uh, cause, cause I, I must have read The Island of Dr. Moreau, the original H.G. Wells book. Like, I'm not kidding. I was probably about nine or ten years old when I read it. I, you know, I was, I was a weird kid. And, um, and so they, they made a movie version of it in 1977. And that wasn't that close to the book, but that was more close to it than the Marlon Brando one. And the Marlon Brando one was like, um, yeah, that was enough to make me want to throw something at the screen. So, oh, <laughs> oh God, that's horrible. That's just bad. That's I, I remember, I remember it getting really terrible reviews, and and I agree with you. It was it was a terrible movie. Um, it's a shame what they did that. Um, I I want to talk about again Shaft. We were talking about that earlier. Uh, you also, in addition to having the comic, you have a Shaft novel that's coming yeah. out. So, um, can you tell us about the upcoming novel? Yeah, it's, uh, it's called Shaft's Revenge. And, um, oh. and, and so the title just kind of says it all. It's, um, Shaft's Revenge. <laughs> and, um, it was, it's been serialized digitally. Um, the final installment is coming out this week 
when issue number six of Shaft comes out. And uh, so that in and of itself was a kind of weird process because I've never written a book in chunks like that before. And, and it's just, it's about Shaft essentially getting hired to solve a murder by the guy who's been killed. Um, who the, sort of the, the kingpin of Harlem, uh, this guy named Knox Persons that Shaft has worked for in the past and, and he gets killed. And I guess that's kind of a spoiler alert. And, um, but Knox knows he's going to die. And so he, he actually sets aside money to hire Shaft to find his killer. And so it's, it's really about Shaft, um, discovering a lot about not just Knox Persons life, but about, um, all these things that he thought he knew, but he actually didn't know. Nice. And you know, okay, so we all know that John Shaft is a well-recognized badass personality. So um, that's kind of like what makes him who he is. Um, what would you say is kind of like your edge or what, what makes yours different than like the film, you know, um, the book, the original book, and then, you know, new novel that you have like kind of what makes you stand out to give that extra edge well you know the the extra edge that i have um that the character has now is it, it's it, a lot of it comes from the original books but i just played on a little bit more which is um i really sort of get into again it, 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 in the original books he, they talk ernest heideman talks about how shaft was um you know when he was 17 years old he was arrested and he was given a choice of going to prison as an adult or going into the military. And then he chose to go into the military and then ended up in the Vietnam War and where he did a couple tours of duty and he killed a bunch of people. And and I thought, you know, this is a really interesting concept because Shaft is ultimately as a man, he became a man really fast. In a lot of ways, not a, not everyone happens. That doesn't happen to everyone. And um and so I wrote him from the standpoint of a guy who's who's a little bit disturbed, right? He's mm-hmm. he's he's a killer. He might even be a natural born killer. He does it really well, but that doesn't mean he feels good about it. And um especially in the novel, there's like this, you know, he kind of knows there's something wrong with him, but he can't quite figure out what it is. And and I and I did that um in doing a lot of research about the Vietnam War, and I actually sat down with some veterans of the war in Vietnam and talked to them about their experiences, not only during while they were um, in active duty, but what it was like for them after they came back. And it was just, mm-hmm. you know, really very interesting and very disturbing and very sad and very tragic because there were so many young men who went off to war. I, I remember I talked to this one guy. He you know, he got uh, his parents' permission to join the Army when he was 17. He was in the Army from 17 to 21. He got he was discharged right after he turned 21. But before he was 20 years old, he had had something like 33 confirmed kills in Vietnam. Wow. Hmm. And, and he was talking to me about that. And I remember him saying, you know, and, and he's in his 60s now. And he was telling me, you know, you look, I, he looks back on that and, and no child. And he says, cause he was a kid, you know, no child should do that. You know, mm-hmm. when you're 20, you you might think you're an adult, but you're not. And that's, that's sort of the approach that I, I've given Shaft is that if you're 24, 25 years old 
and you've already killed 30 or 40 men, like, you're not going to come out of that unscathed. Right, and, and, right. and that's what I really wanted to get into and, and get into, you know, in the, in the movies and the books, he's a womanizer and he's always sleeping around. And I want to try to get into, you know, well, why would not, it's not why every person does that, not why every man does that, but, but why some people do that. And, and a lot of people do that because they're, they're disconnected. There's sort of a void inside of them. They're trying to fill and they don't know how to fill it. And so Shaft is this really dark, sort of disturbed guy that, um, you know, that I think a lot of people, when we, when we watch movies or, or comics or, or, or books or whatever, you know, with action heroes, we don't like to think about how they got so badass, you know, how they got so right, tough. Right. But no one's born that way, you know, except for maybe Black Dynamite. He was born that way, but, um, <laughs> You know, other people, uh, everyone else get gets turned into that, and that's what I wanted to examine was was the man who's been turned into this. And so, speaking of kind of like the the darkness that you you've given it, I I know it's like the visuals and the imagery kind of like match with that too, and the color, so it has a, a very distinct dark look. So I'm assuming that was definitely intentional. Um, does that kind of like speak to your own personality, or just kind of like just an effect that you wanted to you know portray with the the character? No, that was, I mean, I, I guess you'd have to ask other people, maybe ask my therapist if I have a dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not, I, I say that as I'm playing with a knife. So let me put the knife down right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely wanted the comic to have a dark tone and, and the art team, really they got it they got what i was going for and so they brought that that's that's all on them that's credit to them um you know i i definitely have a cynical outlook on life and and i think that that comes through and that definitely comes through in shaft's revenge to a large extent um you know it's difficult to not have have a a, a cynical outlook um you know as i was writing the comic in 2014 um, you know, I, I was watching the news. I was watching, you know, Eric Garner and, and Mike Brown and Darian Hunt and, and all these other folks, you know, unarmed people getting killed. Right. I'm still seeing it every day. And, and, you know, you hit a point, um, where you, you get older, you know, and, and if you're fortunate, you don't get harassed by the police as much and, and you're not put in harm's way as much. But then you start thinking, well, am I doing something wrong as a black person <laughs> that this isn't happening to me? And and you get this sort of weird survivor's guilt, you know. Um, mm. And and so a lot of that, you know, does get channeled into my work because, you know, I'm not the sort of person as I get older, I'm not the sort of person who's likely to go down to some sort of vigil or protest. I used to do that stuff in my my teens and my 20s. Um but but I just don't do that. Big crowds just sort of make me too uncomfortable and the police make me even more uncomfortable. And right. uh, but that doesn't mean I don't want to try to do something to help the world or speak my mind or get people talking. And so a lot of that does come through in my work, um, even in, even the stuff that I'm working on now, you know, outside of Shaft, it's coming through. So and that's a, that is who I am. We but got a question. Oh. I've never killed anyone, so. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Says the man with the knife. Um, 
Um, we got a question on Twitter from Roland JP. He okay. wants to know what drew your interest to DC Comics Cyborg, uh, the ongoing series. Um, DC approached me last year and they, they, they said, you know, we've been, we've been looking at your work. We've got a couple different characters. We were looking at doing some new interesting stuff with, would you be interested in pitching? And I said, sure. And, and Cyborg was one of the, the characters. And so I really didn't think they were going to go for my Cyborg pitch because it was, it was kind of out there. It was really, um, really heavy sci-fi and, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and I had also pitched something for, for Green Arrow and my Green Arrow pitch was really, really gritty and, and was like, um, you know, I thought for sure that was going to be the one. And, and they said, no, you know, we like what you're doing with Cyborg. And so that process went on for several months, um, of us just sort of massaging the ideas and figuring out if, if it was going to work out or not. And, and that's how it all came together. So they, they came to me with, with, again, with a list of characters. And that's kind of how it happens at, at, you know, the phase that I'm at in my career and, and a lot of other people when they're first working at Marvel or DC is, you know, the, an, an editor or editors will get in touch with you and they'll go, Hey, we, we want to work with you. Um, here's like five characters, you know, Think of which ones you want to work with the most and then give us a pitch for three of these five. Mm. So sometimes they only give you one character. So, (laughs) so, um, and first of all, I want to know, I'm curious, what, what does a pitch entail? What, what is the process of pitching a character to a a group of executives or a a team um, over at DC or any other comic book publisher? Explain to us what that process is like. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting process. It's, you know, what you do is you, you give them your take on, on the character and the story that you would like to tell. And, and you generally keep it pretty short. It's usually, it's never, it should never be longer than a single page. And by a single page, I mean, you know, eight and a half by 11 standard spacing, 12 point font, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but the shorter, the better. If you can do it in a paragraph or so, and they may ask for more. They, you know, they may say, well, you know, what would you do? How would you do a six issue run? What would your six issue run look like? Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, the the initial pitch was like just um, it was probably two or three paragraphs, because if you've gone over three paragraphs, then then it's too much. I, that Everyone's told me that and I believe that. And, um, you know, for me, it was like. With the pitch, I said, you know, one of the things I was talking about was that Cyborg is a character who's been around since 1980, but he's always been a member of either the Teen Titans or the Justice League. He's never had an ongoing solo series. Right. And so I said, you know, part of my pitch was um, we have to establish Cyborg as a character with his own, you know, world, with his own set of supporting characters. Superman has got... Lois Lane and Perry White and Jimmy Olsen and Batman has got Robin and Alfred and Commissioner Gordon and you know every all the all the big characters have a supporting cast of characters they have their own world um but Cyborg doesn't really have that that much and and there aren't a lot of stories that define him as who he is outside of a team context you know in the 80s it was the same way with Wolverine you know in the X-Men for years, Wolverine was just a member of the X-Men. You mm-hmm. know, he was really popular, but he never had his own book. And and then 
you know, he spun out of that and they gave him his own book. But it was the same sort of thing. If you were like myself reading X-Men back in 79, 78, 80, that, that time frame, you were like the thought of a Wolverine solo comic just was like, like a dream, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's how it is with a lot of cyborg fans now too. I mean, I always wanted to see a cyborg solo comic. So it was just, I, I feel like I won the lottery in being the guy to, to, to write it. That's awesome. And uh, it was recently announced that there's going to be a cyborg movie coming out starring Ray Fisher, which is due for release in 2020. So are you doing any consulting on the film and what are your thoughts about seeing cyborg cyborg on the big screen? Uh, at this point, no, I'm not doing any consulting. Um, you know, it, it's, I, I haven't been around long enough, I think to be in that capacity. And so, you know, for me, I I'm looking forward to seeing it. I hope it's a good film when it when it comes out. You know, as I work on on the stories, the issues and the big stories that connect them all, I'm not thinking really too much about oh, this would be great as a movie or or anything like that. I'm just thinking I really want to write a great story and I want to develop this character and then if someone else wants to come along and and use elements, that's fine with me, but if the only way they're going to want to use those any elements that I might create is if I create elements that are good. I have to mm-hmm. write great scenes and great stories and great characters. And so that's, that's where I'm focusing my attention right now and, and for the foreseeable future. Gotcha. Oh, good. Oh no. And then, um, you know, one of the other questions that I wanted to know, because again, we have so many listeners who are writers and they want to go independent. They want to create their own content. So why should we focus on being more independent, do-it-yourself creators, as opposed to finding work with big-name publishers? Or should we do both? Well, you, you definitely need to focus on on the independent stuff, doing stuff yourself. Because, you know, getting a job at a big publisher like a Marvel or DC you know, it's the equivalent to like winning the lottery or, or, um, like if you, if you love to play baseball, you know, you, you're not necessarily going to get to play for the Yankees or the Red Sox or, or you name it, any major league ball team. But that doesn't mean you can't go out and start a team with a group of friends and go play at the local park, right? Basketball, football, all those things. It's the same thing with comics. Um, you know, there's, only so many positions at, at Marvel or DC. Um, and so, you know, it is, it's like winning the lottery, you know, and, and, and if you want to do comics and that's all you want to do, the reality is you might, you know, I'm not going to say you might never get to do it, but you might never get to do it. And even if you do, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to, you know, uh, develop your skills and, 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 get your chops up and you need to meet people. And this is the same, it's the same for artists as well. It's not just writers. It's it's the same for artists who want to get into the comic industry. And the best way to do it is to create your own stuff. You know, you read a lot. There's, you go out, you buy comics, you read them, you study them and not just comics. You should read novels and you should watch movies and, and, you know, and understand the, the art of storytelling and, and then, and then you just apply it and it takes a long time, you know. Um, I guarantee there's not a single person working at Marvel or DC, both as a, as a writer or an artist who didn't put in at least five years in the trenches as an, either as an, in, 
in an independent context, whether it was doing web comics or publishing themselves or something like that. But yeah, it's just how it works. And I want to ask one more question on Twitter and I'll pass it over to Grace for her questions. This is from Rebecca at film fatale underscore NYC on Twitter. Uh, there was recently an essay written by Son of Baldwin. I don't know if you were familiar with it about. Oh yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> she wants to know your thoughts about it. <laughs> um, you know, it's my, my thoughts are that I think that some of the stuff I agree with and some of the stuff I don't agree with. And, and I think that, um, you know, that, that's the, that's the short, safe answer. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely think that there are opportunities for the character to grow and to develop. And that's what I'm working on. And I know other writers have worked on it in the past too. So, you know, I also don't want to say too much because I don't want to give away some of the stuff that I'm, I have planned um, for the series as it moves forward. But yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting because when you look at characters in comics or film or television, doesn't matter, especially if those characters are people of color or if those characters are women and if they're, if they're created or, or overseen by someone who's not like them, a lot of times those characters will say and do things that, you know, I look at a lot of black characters in comics and, and film and I'm like, yo, who wrote that? You know, <laughs> who did that? Um, right. I, same thing with women, you know, with women characters. And so, and it's, and it's, it becomes a slippery slope because the thing is, is that um, the vast majority of the people who, who control pop culture are white men. And, and I don't think that any of them are, I shouldn't say any of them. I don't think all of them are evil and insidious and trying to be, you know, racist or trying to be sexist or anything like that. I think sometimes it, it comes out inadvertently and some people get upset by it. Um, but you know, and, and so like with the son of Baldwin piece, you know, there was some stuff in there that I, I, I agreed with, but there was some stuff in there that I like was really like, didn't agree with at all, you know, mm -hmm. and was like, yo, what, like that's the, okay. That's, that's your interpretation of it. I don't see how you came up with that, but that's fine. You know, and, and I recognize that now I'm in the position where son of Baldwin and other people are going to be writing about the stuff that I'm doing. And, you know, I, I have a background in, in writing about stuff critically. And so I'm always aware of that, but that doesn't, you know, I can't be afraid of the critics. I just have to listen to them and try to communicate with them and, you know, not get into a fist fight at a convention and we'll be good. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's always good to be, you know, luckily everybody doesn't agree. And I think that's, that's healthy, you know, because if we all had the same stuff, then God knows it'd be, you know, a boring, monotonous world. So, um, I think, you know, it, it's kind of healthy to have that, that dialogue as well and kind of going into that. So clearly, you know, there are ongoing issues as it relates to like diversity in media and comic books and graphic novels. And so, you know, what is it that you personally, you know, wants to make sure that you contribute to um, to that medium and, you know, this idea of like making sure that there is this level of diversity? You know, that's a that's a really good question. And I think the most simple answer is that I'm just trying to bring to it things that 
I would like to see. Mm-hmm. And and by that, I mean, you know, like I went and saw Mad Max the other day and it was it was entertaining enough. Mm. But, you know, there was like only like Zoe Kravitz, I think, was it in terms yep. of, you know, right. Yeah. Person of yep. color. And then I think there was like some aboriginal person of leprosy in the background or something, you know, um, and and, you know, in that regard, the movie left me wanting. And mm-hmm. and so what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to bring some stuff to, to comics that um, that I feel are missing. And and, and I'm not the best at it. You know, there, there's there's things that people will read my comics and go, oh, well, it was missing A, B and C to which I, you know, I can go, OK, well, next time I'll try better. But at the same time, like maybe you should be putting out comics, mm-hmm. you know. And when I say that to people, a lot of people get really defensive and they're yeah. like, they, they think I'm, I'm, I'm being like, you know, a jackass or something. And I'm not. What I'm saying is that like, you know, Toni Morrison, and I'll mangle this, the quote by Toni Morrison, but she said, you know, um, if there's a book that you want to read that hasn't been written yet, then it's up to you to write it. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and again, I, 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 that's a paraphrase of it, but, but I believe that firmly. And so if I, if my comics are missing something that, that, that you want, or if, you know, Superman is missing something that you want, if the, if the entire medium is missing something that you want that you can't find, you know, really the only way to guarantee that it's going to get there is for you to do it yourself. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. <laughs> totally. Um and kind of going back to uh, uh, Shaft, uh, just uh, momentarily, what is next for uh, the John Shaft uh, comic? You know, they um, Dynamite, who's the publisher, uh, I don't know what they're going to do next. We're talking about, you know, some, some potential things. Um, and, and I know there's other writers who've pitched ideas to them. And so I'm just sort of waiting for them to let me know what they what they want me to do next. But, you know, I'm kind of busy now with D.C. and and I've got a a top secret project at Marvel that that hasn't been um, approved yet. But but we're going I'm going through the process of pitching something with Marvel right now. Um, Nice. And so, you know, I'd love to do more Shaft stuff. I've got at least five or six stories that I'd love to tell. Uh, including another novel, and um, and and I have a story that's set in the like n- late '90s, early 2000s about Shaft as as a much older guy and him um, sort of passing the torch along to his daughter, and mm-hmm. his daughter becoming this sort of badass detective in her own right. Um, but you know, it, it all depends on the on the publisher. And and sales, if if enough people buy this stuff and and there's a demand for it, and and you know that's the sad reality of 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 every industry is like, well, is someone gonna you know does anybody want this enough to pay for it? Right, right. And for for my own this person, as we were talking about movies earlier, um, what what was your take on um the the I guess the newest uh, Shaft film you know because clearly I'm sure you you've seen them all so kind of like oh, that that one with Samuel L Jackson yes mm-hmm. yeah that was up there with the that Marlon Brando Island of Dr. Moreau <laughs> gotcha gotcha okay <laughs> it was uh, 
If you if you want me to get I I'll get real nerdy on you, but I almost I got into it with some cat on Twitter about it, and he was all like, you know, because my thing was in in the books, uh, Shaft is an only child and he's an orphan, so in in um the movie with Samuel L. Jackson, he's playing the uncle of Richard Roundtree or the nephew of Richard right, Roundtree right. character, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, that's not possible because. Shaft has no family, you know, like that, that was me getting really nerdy there. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> technically he can't have an uncle or nephew because he doesn't have any aunts or uncles and, uh, he doesn't have a mother or father. And, and, uh, and some dude tried to like call me on it. Like, how oh. do you know? And I was like, cause I've read the books, man. I've seen all the movies. So don't, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good thing I wasn't in the room with them because then it would have been, it would have been on like Donkey Kong, you know, so. <laughs> Yeah, the the last Shaft film, it was all about Jeffrey Wright for me. That was Jeffrey Wright's yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, for me too. <laughs> it was all about something, but it wasn't about Shaft, yeah. So. Right. <laughs> Indeed. Um, one thing I've been noticing that's happened as of late, you know, we're seeing a little bit more diversity. It's going at a snail's pace, but we're seeing a little bit more diversity happening on the Marvel and DC side of things with respect to seeing our black superheroes on screen. Uh, we just mentioned Cyborg. Cyborg's getting a film. Black Panther's getting a film. So I, I wanted to know, do you think that black superheroes on both TV and film have a greater impact than they do in comic books, or is it perhaps the opposite? You know, I, I I get in trouble for some of the things that I say. <laughs> Let it out. <laughs> I honestly don't think it makes much of an impact. Mm-hmm. I really yeah. think that I think that it has a minimal impact on on folks like us who really care. Um, although with me, it, I'm, I'm usually very cynical. Um, but I, I think that you know. I think as long as we're still seeing people freak out over the most recent freak out is, is that Supergirl trailer and where people are freaking out mostly that Jimmy Olsen's now a black guy, mm-hmm. you know, they're freaking out about the new fantastic four movie. Cause Johnny storm is played by a black guy. Right. And it's like, um, you know, there's, there's, and yet nobody, and, and, but the only people that are noticing how white the Mad Max movie was. Right. Is, is black folks, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. like. And isn't it, isn't the background, um, the setting in an African nation, Namibia? Well, it's, 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 it's supposed to be Australia, but it was shot in, in, uh, yeah, Namibia or somewhere like that. Okay. And, that's where we shot. Nairobi. Okay. Um, but you know, in Australia, they got Aboriginal folks that are yeah, uh, exactly. Where are they at? In the desert, so everyone should have a tan. Um, but I think that you know what what happens is is that um, you you mentioned earlier that things are moving at a snail's pace, and we live in a society now where immediate gratification means a lot to us, mm. uh, and and. And for the folks like us who, who recognize that something's wrong, we want to see something change. We want something about it. That change isn't happening fast enough, you know. So as much as I enjoyed the Avengers movie, you know, it was like, okay, well, War Machine only shows up for a couple minutes. Right. And then him and Falcon show up at the end. Right. Okay. 
come on now. You and know? then the Black Panther was like a footnote. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And, and so yeah, eventually we're going to get a Black Panther movie. Great. But like, I want a Black Panther movie like 10 years ago. Right. You know? <laughs> That's the thing. And so I, I don't think I, it, it's just, it's very difficult for me because, you know, here's the thing. It, it's like, um, black folks will go see a Star Wars movie. They'll go see the Avengers movies. They'll go see Mad Max. And and with or without us going, those movies are going to do really, really well, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't no matter what. But, you know, the the rule of thinking is that, well, only black folks make black films successful. And so that's why we get Tyler Perry movies. Um, you know, but the, the, the thinking is, is that, well, can a Black Panther movie make a billion dollars? Because that's what they want it to do. Right. You know, they, they, they want a Wonder Woman movie to make a billion dollars and, and they're fearful that it won't, you know, and, and I believe that, that those, if those movies are made right, because even the, the fast and furious movies, which aren't that good in terms of story, those movies make a lot of money and, mm-hmm. and people, a lot of people don't want to talk about the fact that, well, the reason that those movies make money is because the cast is really diverse mm-hmm. and, and it's yep. marketed overseas. You got women, you got black folks, you got, you know, Korean cat, you've got all these people in the, in the Fast and Furious movies. And it's globally, it's one of the most popular film series of all time. Right. right. And then you look at, you look at Harry Potter movies and it's like, well, they got one black guy and an Asian chick, you know, but it's like, <laughs> that's it. Like in all the world of, of Hogwarts, <laughs> you, you ain't got no more than that. And, you know, in all of Middle Earth, in, in the Lord of the Ring movies, there's not a single person of color. Um, and the moment you recognize that, the moment you see that, it makes everything really difficult and painful. And, and so every step forward is like, to me, it just doesn't feel like it's big enough. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what do you think that maybe the fact that if we incorporate like Netflix and Hulu and all of them that are kind of doing those series that maybe it's kind of like widening the scope versus just our reliance on film. Because like I've come to realize that I can't rely on films alone to, you know, introduce these characters or bring these characters to light. And, you know, clearly with um, Netflix in particular, they, you know, they're beginning to kind of like embark on those series and so forth. So Maybe, I guess, our reliance on film, we shouldn't rely so heavily on that and maybe look to other avenues for yeah, you know, most, our characters. Most definitely. But the the other thing that we need to do is that we need to recognize and we need to seek out the things that are already out there and talk about them. And so, mm-hmm. like, in terms of comics, um, you know, my friends Erica and Tony have a book out through Dark Horse called Concrete Park. Awesome. And, mm-hmm. You know, and that's a dope book. It's one of the best comics of, of this year and last year, but not enough people are talking about it. Right. You know? Right. And it's like, and I always go back to Concrete Park and, and people have, have criticized me for, for always calling it out. And I say, well, the reason is, is because Concrete Park's been published by Dark Horse, which is one of the biggest publishers in American comics. You can walk into any comic book store or bookstore in America and order that book. No problem. So there's, yep. and, and you can get it on Amazon. So there's no reason, there's nothing getting in the way of, of that book being on every person's bookshelf other than the fact that it's not for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, and that drives me crazy 
there's other great comics out there, but they're harder to find. You know, you've got to buy it directly from, from the person who's creating it. But with, uh-huh. with Concrete Park, it's right there. And Concrete Park is, it, it, it might not be everybody's cup of tea, but it's a lot of people's cup of tea, but they don't even know it yet. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, why do you think that is? Because from what I understand, Concrete Park is no longer. Is that accurate? It's It's been canceled? Oh, no. The it's still going? Issue, the second one just actually came out uh, maybe about a week and a half ago. The second, oh, uh, like, okay, yeah. good. Good, I well, got some bad yeah, news. Well, they, they had canceled the monthly book, and then they decided to finish it as a as a, as a a single graphic novel, which is what mm-hmm. they did. Oh, uh, okay. And, and, and why? I can't tell you, you know? I mean, yeah. if, I, if I knew that, I'd be able to tell Erica and Tony, and then I'd be able to tell Dark Horse, and, you know, because I've worked with Dark Horse, and, and we'd be able to fix the problem lickety-split, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it is that, you know, and, and this is, you know, I'm not trying to be overly critical to, to the fans and, and the people out there that are doing podcasts and are blogging and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, you know, we don't necessarily need to talk about Star Wars all the time. Right. Um, or, or how about this? You, you, for every one time, or every 10 times you mention Star Wars, you mentioned Concrete Park one time, and then you mentioned maybe something like Watson and Holmes one time. And right, was, right, you know, yeah. You, you find some semblance of balance because the thing is, is that like everybody's talking about Star Wars. You mm-hmm. know, everybody's talking about the Avengers. Everyone's talking about Mad Max. Like, honestly, you're going to be hard pressed to come up with something new that's going to impress me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go see those movies regardless. You know, uh, but I'm always looking for something new. And the thing that always excites me, if I read on a blog or, or listen to a podcast where somebody tells me about something that I've never heard about before, and then I can go, okay, wait a sec. Now, now this is worth it. This has been worth my time. And not everybody, you know, I think everybody's looking for, you know, maximum number of hits or maximum number of clicks or views. I don't know what it is. I really don't. Um, but I, I, I do know that it's, it's disheartening because I know that like, you know, I, I know that the numbers for shaft aren't as high as I'd like them to be. And I know that the numbers for concrete park weren't as high as, as, as anyone wanted them to be. And it's not because they're the, the quality is inferior. It has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with something far more complex and, it, you know, it has to do with um, the way people buy their comics and order their comics and, and the way retailers put the comics on the shelves and then the way people write reviews. And I mean, I went on to Amazon. I mean, granted, Concrete Park has only been out for maybe two weeks, but I went on to Amazon the other day. My review was the first review of the new book up there. And at this point, there's only one review. It's like, come on, what's up with that, you know? Mm. Well, um, I just want to say that I really hope that Erica will come on our show. I've reached out to her, and uh, I am in the process now of uh, getting her to come on the BGM podcast to talk about Concrete Park. So uh, definitely, um, you know, encourage everybody to read that comic book, and, and hopefully she'll be on our podcast soon to, to talk about it. And we can even talk about the, the marketing aspect of, of comics and why it hasn't really gotten a big push um, compared to the other comics that are out right now. I, I wanted to ask you about writing. 
what has been the most challenging thing for you as a writer and how are you able to overcome it? Um, the most challenging thing as a writer is writing. Yes. It's going into the face of potential rejection or, um, or negative criticism and just, and, and, Going, okay, it's, it might happen, but I don't care. I'm going to do this anyway. That's the biggest challenge, you know, but it's also the biggest reward to be able to say you, you did it. Um, you know, uh, I was, it, again, I, I always come back to the fact I feel like I've won the lottery, you know, um, in, in terms of comics. The, the, the most challenging thing I ever did was write a novel and I've now written two of them. Um, I'm, I'm working on the sequel to the second book in the adventures of Darius Logan. And, uh, that, that's the most time consuming and the most challenging, but it's also the most rewarding because it's all me. And if it succeeds, it succeeded because, because of what I did. Whereas a comic book, I'll be honest, every comic book I've ever done, like what makes them work is the art because it's a visual medium at the end of the day. Um, I, I, Every convention I go to, people come by my table and they'll go, oh, did you draw that? And I'll be like, no, I wrote it. And they walk away disappointed. It's like, it's like, you know, uh, you, I can't even describe it. The look of dejection on their face when they find out I just wrote it. And I've had people like actually say, well, what do you mean you wrote it? Like they, 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 they can't even conceive of what it means to read a, to write a comic book. They just they because they know that it's a visual thing. And and so I try to explain, okay, so you see this this panel right here where Superman is lifting the car? Well, I wrote Superman lifts the car and then somebody <laughs> drew it, you know? But they don't get it. And it's it's crazy. Nice. Well, um, we're about to wrap up. Grace, did you have any final questions before we wrap up? No, because he you know, definitely the upcoming project, she kind of spoke to that. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that's, I'm still digesting this all right here. So, I'm <laughs> um, so tell us, uh, you know, you do a lot of public appearances, any speaking yeah. engagements that you're up to, um, and also just shout out your website and your social media shout outs. All right. Let's see. Well, um, I will be for sure. I'll be at the San Diego comic con in July at San Diego. Yay. Uh, I hope to meet you there. I'll be going there too. Yep, I will be there, and I will also be at the New York City Con in October. Um, I, I I have a couple other tentative ones coming up, but I don't I don't know for sure if I'm going to go to those. Those two for sure I'll be at. Um, and I think that's it in terms of appearances. Sometimes I get a little like, you know, uh, social anxiety, so I don't go out that much. Um, in terms of social media, I'm on uh, Twitter at as. Uh, David Walker 1201 and um and then I I honestly can't remember what my Facebook fan page is. Hold on. I I will have to <laughs> Sounds like you spend a lot of time on there. <laughs> I, I spend I do spend too much time on Facebook itself. Um but I have a fan page that I don't update nearly enough. Oh, it's it's uh David Walker writer. That's what it is. Yeah. So it's facebook.com uh forward slash David Walker writer and um, yeah. And that's it. You know, people can interact with me there and, and then I've got, uh, I, I don't update my, my blog that often, um, which is badassmofo.com, B-A-D 
A-Z-Z-M-O-F-O. Um, just mostly because I'm lazy and I'm too busy writing other stuff. So, um, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Well, at least you're working on other work that's getting out. So we, we can't fault you for, you know, the updates on the blog. So. Yeah, it's not like I'm not doing anything. And that's what, you know, people, <laughs> people think, they, they, get, they don't realize, like, you know, writing is hard. And then to go, okay, yeah, now I'm going to write a blog about right. uh, whatever, you know, did I re- do I really think that Charlize Theron in Mad Max Fury Road is uh, an example of feminism at its best in action cinema? Like, mm-hmm. I-, I just don't have time to, to either um, defend that or refute that. It's just like, right. there's enough other people, there's someone online is going to write it better than I am anyway. Um, so I'm just going to stick to writing you know, comics and, and young adult fiction. Well, thank you so much, David, for coming on. You gave us a lot of great insight and we've tweeted out links to all of the various books that you've published to our listeners. So you guys should definitely check that out. Check out Concrete Park as well. Um, and next week we are not having a podcast. We're going to take a break. It's Memorial Day weekend. So hang out, chill with your families, grab a beer, have a barbecue, do your thing. But the following Sunday, we will have Regine Sawyer on, and she's the founder of Women in Comics. So tune in for that podcast. So that won't be next Sunday, but the following Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And thanks for tuning in, guys. Good night. Thanks. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally free.